Trump in court, Dutton's no elition, RBA claims rates may rise again, and the good news is that the majority say yes to the voice. This is The Week on Wednesday. Hello and welcome to The Week on Wednesday. My name is Ben Davis and I am your co-host of this fringe award-winning podcast. And joining me live from our home, wearing her St. Javelin, the great, the merciful, the just. The weapons-bearing icon of the brave people of Ukraine. Is the great, the glorious, the best-selling author of Q and On and On, a short and shocking history of internet conspiracy cults, my wife and your friend, Van Batum. You know, it was totally worth getting married just so you could call me my wife and your friend. <laughs> I love it. And I love my St. Javelin hoodie. Um, as you can imagine, uh, I can't repeat to you what it says on the back uh, in Ukrainian because this is an, an Apple-hosted podcast. Family-friendly. But uh, it does have something to do with what Russian warships can do to themselves. And I love it. I own so many St. Javelin things now, and it's become my favourite place, apart from Dodo Socks, which is another Ukrainian supporting business, uh, to buy things. Have you worn your new Dodo Socks underpants yet? I have not yet, but I will. I will do so. Oh, that may be an Easter treat. Ooh. Oh. And I got them in Ukrainian flag colours as well. Of course. Of yeah. course. Wear your solidarity, Ben. Yes. Well, I, I often do. People see me wearing my ETU hoodie or my Vic Trades Hall shirt or my ACTU jumpers. Uh, and of course, speaking of solidarity, Van, I want to give a shout out and offer our solidarity to the Sydney Uni and Curtin Uni staff who are on strike today. Uh, the NTU, the National Tertiary Education Union, uh, has organised these strikes. Uh, they are mostly around workload, casualisation and underpayment issues. We know the sector is rife. And of course, they are bargaining for better protections and better deals in those two universities. Uh, I also want to offer our solidarity. We talked about the busy workers in Shepparton. Can you believe that it was almost 10 weeks ago when we first mentioned this? These workers had their first industrial action in years. It started 10 weeks ago. They're still undergoing industrial action to try and get a fair deal out of the multinational, multi-billion dollar, privately owned Australian company. Outrageous. And, of course, you can support those workers. They have a strike fund, the Victorian Trades Hall Council, uh, VTHC on Twitter. They have a strike fund. You can help support those workers. And please support them. Like, every dollar helps. Absolutely. And it's when workers go on strike, they're not just striking for themselves. They're striking for everyone who works because showing the power of solidarity and collective action redresses the power imbalance, obviously, between employers and employees and puts more energy in the system for all employees to get a better deal. And, of course, Van, we always suggest that people should join their union because that's how they build power in the workplace. Go to australianunions.org.au slash wow, that's W-O-W for week on Wednesday, because together workers build power and get wins. And, of course, the Vasari workers, uh, Van, when you and I were in Adelaide for the Adelaide Fringe Festival, uh, we heard from the UWU. I should also mention it's the Australian Manufacturing Workers Union uh, members who are on strike in Shepparton. But the Vasari workers are with the United Workers Union. They're calling on people to boycott broccolini 
in Colesworth and Aldi. I saw stunning, uh, stunning set of uh, tweets from the UWU telling me, telling us that the Aldi had done an audit of uh, these workplaces and that the company had moved the workers away from their usual place of work in order to try and hide them from the audit. So that broccolini boycott is still on. If you're thinking about having a broccolini Easter, I urge you to put it off uh, and certainly uh, don't be buying it from Coles or Aldi because uh, nobody wants exploitation on their plate this Easter. Gross. Might be uh, might be a slightly easier one for me than some others uh, to uh, to participate in. Nonetheless, Van, there's so much going on, and of course, we've had breaking news as we've gone into the recording of this episode, and things may be moving as we speak. But we will try and get this episode up and out there so that it's as relevant as it possibly can be. First thing I want to talk about, you were on the ABC today this morning. I was, morning, I was. Thank you, ABC. Talking about Donald Trump. I was talking about Donald Trump. He's and his a, arrest. He has, he has actually been arrested, he's been indicted, and he has been arraigned. Yes, indeed. Which means, for those who are unfamiliar with that language, he has actually had to face court and hear the charges be put to him and enter a plea. And as I understand it, there were 34 charges put to him. Felony charges. Which essentially in the American system is a more serious grade of charge. Yes, than a misdemeanor. A misdemeanor you can usually uh, bargain your way out of with fine, but felonies carry criminal convictions. So... 34 charges, he's pled not guilty to all of them. That's my understanding. Yes. So to put this in context, I understand that the listening audience who maybe doesn't follow American politics as obsessively as I do may be confused as to what he's actually in trouble for because there are a number of different, there's a, a number of different legal scenarios that the former president and even saying the word, the president, president Trump, it just, it's, it's still, it's, it is um, amazing we are alive. Um, he is facing trouble on a lot of counts. He's in trouble in the state of Georgia because he made illegal phone calls telling the Secretary of State to find him 11,000 votes so he could win the state of Georgia. Georgia obviously went to Joe Biden in the last uh, election in the United States. So he's in he's in trouble there. Uh, he's obviously in trouble because of his role in encouraging the and in inciting, quite arguably, the January 6th riots in the United States, which obviously led to the deaths of several people and the smashing up of the Capitol and threats to hang Mike Pence, mm. who was Trump's own vice president. So that was an issue. Um, so he's been investigated on that front. There are two different investigations pending on his removal of highly classified documents from the White House that were taken and stored in a spare room at his home of Mar-a-Lago in Florida, uh, which were the subject of raids by the FBI. And it, obviously that's Official Secrets Act kind of level yeah. criming uh, that he's facing investigation for. He's also in trouble in the state of New York uh, for improper business dealings. There's an ongoing investigation. And that's what this is in relation to. No, no, different. Oh, a different one. Yes, yeah, sorry, Ben. 
sorry, State of New York is uh, Letitia James, who's the Attorney General of the State of New York, and from the New York State Government, who's investigating the Trump Organization for doing all manner of disgraceful things, like not of overvaluing property and then undervalue, like yeah. all these crazy evaluations that they were doing to essentially maximise their capacity to get loans but minimise their tax. Yeah. Like you can't claim that a building is worth a lot of money in one context and they're not much in another. Strangely enough, that's very illegal. And, of course, people are going to jail if right and centre. As the great Rick Wilson says, everything Trump touches dies and rather a lot of people have found themselves in a lot of legal trouble for having associated with a former president. But these 34 felony counts have actually been brought by the District Attorney of Manhattan the local government jurisdiction, right. the local judicial realm, whatever it is of, I, I don't know the American term, I should, of Manhattan, uh, Alvin Bragg, who is investigating Trump on the basis of uh, improper improper dealings. That's an intersection of um, business declarations and campaign finance violations. So what he's in trouble for is before the 2016 election that he infamously won, mm. hilariously by getting people to chant lock her up about Hillary Clinton, as I'm sure mm. everybody remembers, Hillary Clinton, by the way, who has not faced arrest or arraignment or is facing any potential of going to jail. Not under investigation as far as No, no, and probably laughing and crying on the floor at the same time. Um, He's in trouble because before the 2016 election, Trump and the people around him allegedly ran a scheme to catch and kill bad information about him or information they thought may have had a negative impact on his presidential run. Some of this information came from Stormy Daniels, who claims she's a you know adult entertainment actress, mm-hmm. um, I believe is the term. And Stormy Daniels had had a like sexual relationship with Donald Trump, so she claims, mm. and she was prepared to speak about her sexual relationship with Donald Trump, which allegedly took place while Melania Trump was either pregnant or had just given birth to their son, Baron Trump, Mm. and he was quite married at the time. Obviously what people do in their private life is their own business except when they lie about it when they're running for president, I think Mm. is probably, you know, like if people aren't consenting to various situations, it's interesting. Anyway, so what happened was... um, Stormy Daniels had this story about her alleged relationship with Donald Trump and the National Enquirer, which is owned by a friend of Donald Trump's, went to her with an offer of buying her story, obliging her to sign a non-disclosure agreement that she wouldn't talk about and she wouldn't give the information to anyone else and she was paid a sum of money. Now, it turns out that they caught in they it's called catch and kill yeah. where they pay for the story and then they don't run it so nobody hears about it which was obviously in Donald Trump's interest yeah. before the election and of course she's under a non-disclosure agreement she's not allowed to talk about it the rest of it the way that money was handled in that particular situation is quite murky and what he's in trouble for. Mm. So his lawyer was a guy called Michael Cohen who, of mm. course, did end up going to jail. Three years. He's serving three years. Yeah, yeah. And is, uh, 
believe he's under house arrest now. He might be out of jail, but in home confinement. I can't remember. For, for and let's be clear, he's for dodging taxes, lying to Congress, and violating campaign finance laws. Yeah. So Michael Michael Cohen has done time. It is amazing the number of people around yeah. Donald Trump who end up in prison. I mean, I'm sure it's just a coincidence, <laughs> but Michael Cohen organised money that was eventually paid to Stormy Daniels that came out of his own, it was borrowed against his mortgage on his house. Mm. And so it was Michael Cohen's money that was funnelled to Stormy Daniels to pay for this suppression of the story, hush money. And then Michael Cohen invoiced the Trump Organisation for legal services as a business expense. So I want to talk about that because this is, this is where it starts to get into the realms of legalities, right? Because uh, there's a question. The question mark is whether or not Trump illegally paid Cohen to make these payments. Uh, is part of it. Is a big chunk of it. There's a number of other people involved in other payments as well. There's a number of these catch and kill scenarios. One involving a doorman. A doorman who believe, who claimed he had information that Donald Trump had a child that he hadn't de- declared. All this sort of stuff. It seems to be an ongoing Tory problem to not know how many children you have. That's weird. Isn't Boris it? Johnson, uh, Herschel Walker. Like, there's a theme. It's very strange. So, so the court documents are claiming that. In 2017, uh, Trump agreed to reimburse Cohen for the payments to Daniels, uh, and that he would uh, he would pay him four hundred and twenty thousand US dollars. They would do this in monthly installments of thirty five thousand dollars for for a period of twelve months. Uh, that it would be uh, falsely invoiced as legal services rendered in a given month of 2017 as part of a retainer agreement, but there was no actual retainer agreement, and that the Trump Organization CFO was uh, instructed to, uh, quote, post two legal expenses. So the, the, the hush money payment was essentially a false statement and false invoices, therefore are a felony breach of... Um, uh, business laws in in Manhattan. Manhattan. Yeah, but it's also because they were ostensibly electoral expenses. You have to declare all of your electoral expenses. Well, that's that's one of the other. That's I mean, this is why there's 34 charges related. To yeah, these sort 34 of three or charges four. is a lot. Yeah. I mean, Michael Cohen was setting up shell companies to yeah. funnel this money through, and of course. His career is completely destroyed. I actually find Michael Cohen really fascinating because he's spoken very candidly just about his relationship to Trump and what it's like to be in Trump world and this moral vacuum that they all live in where they just serve the demands of this rampaging ego. And, I mean, it will be interesting to see what happens because in America their legal system is different to ours. We've spoken before on the show about the grand jury system where to determine if charges can be laid, they convene these, like, secret courts that, are, are consider not, the evidence. They consider the evidence of- and determine whether it's going to go ahead. There was a grand jury. People were giving testimony to that grand jury. All kinds of people have been called before the grand jury to testify. I mean, there are really 
it's extremely gross what has gone on. But Mary Trump, who is Donald Trump's niece, who wrote the famous book about him, about essentially how he was rampaging megalomaniac and extremely dangerous, and she could say that because she had grown up and she knew him. And she's also a clinical psychologist, which, you know, provided her a certain level of insight, not to mention a certain amount of motivation. Um, She said, you know, the, the thing is that for years, for decades, Donald Trump has, you know, engaged in, in like at very least immoral, questionable, legally questionable, perhaps legally actionable. Like his first lawsuits started happening in the 1980s yeah. around all kinds of different things and he's developed an impunity. I mean, you've spoken, I think, on the show before about the number of bankruptcies that he faced that he managed to negotiate his way out of. Yeah, it's really incredible. When you look at the number of failed Trump businesses and the number of uh, the number of times when he should have been bankrupted and wasn't or was bankrupted but bailed out, uh, like in the Australian system, you know, you can't really you can't be a bankrupt and a member of parliament. I'm not sure what the rules are for presidents in America in regards to that, but you would think that someone who had such a prolific record of failure would be unelectable, and yet here he is. He's still a pretty. I'm not sure if he's the front runner for the Republican. He is. He's the front runner for the Republican nomination. I mean, this is incredible. The man has lost, and when I say lost hundreds of millions of dollars, I don't mean of his own money. I mean of other people's money, of banks' money, of investors' money, of small businesses' money. I remember the Hillary Clinton ad during the 2016 election campaign where they had a number of small business owners who basically told their story about how the Trump organization refused to pay them for work they had done and that it destroyed their lives and drove their businesses under and yeah. ruined, you know, made, lost ruined them their lives. homes. Yeah, because everything Trump touches dies. And it was just, and yet somehow or another Donald Trump remains this kind of figure in American politics that it just doesn't seem to matter. I mean, well, no, it doesn't. And I spoke about this in the ABC interview this morning. The reason why they got me in to talk about it was because of my book QAnon and On that yeah. talks about how like QAnon is a cult that worships Donald Trump essentially and sees him as the great saviour, the god emperor Trump. And So bizarre. It is. It is. But you should read my book because, yeah. I mean, it's not boring. Um, but the – the issue is that you have a considerable and, I mean, overwhelming, numerically overwhelming um, section of the Republican Party base who vote in primaries, yeah. which Australians would call pre-selections, who are Trump-aligned and who live in a sealed information environment where they consume Fox News and Newsmax and One American News and are in like Trump Facebook groups and on Trump Twitter and just imbibe all of this nonsense who live in a completely parallel reality to the rest of us where they do not actually consume news media from diverse sources. They consume it from Trump-aligned propaganda outfits. And this is quite interesting in terms of investigations going on in the United States at the moment into Rupert Murdoch's Mm. Fox Corp, where 
um, they are being sued by Dominion, who are a company who make voting machines. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Fox was per- perpetrating the lie that Dominion voting machines had been controlled by yeah. space, by Italian satellites. The that ghost were of Hugo Chavez. Uh, Hugo Chavez and the kind of, they were hosting people who were giving time to these insane conspiracy theories, yeah. knowing and Dominion uh, suing that – Dominion are pursuing like a multi-billion dollar lawsuit. And they got access to the text messages. And they got access to text messages. So you have people like Tucker Carlson, who's the most watched cable news host in America, who's on Mm. Fox, who's a Donald Trump patsy essentially, talking about the fact that he disliked Donald Trump immensely and he was looking forward to it all being over. And they all knew. Laura Ingram Mm. knew. Sean Hannity knew. They all, All these Fox hosts knew that Trump had lost the election, that it was all nonsense, and yet they were playing forming these conspiracy theories. So it's a lie factory. Like it is mm. untrue and the people making the lies know very well that it's untrue. But you have these Trump-aligned voter bases who are active voting members of the Republican Party who choose to believe it, who choose to affirm their beliefs mm. um, at the expense of facts and reality. And then, you know, you and I have talked before about the fact that uh, – that there is a financial component to this too, right? Like that, that in actual fact, Fox was more concerned about its subscriber and advertiser base than it was about the news and the truth about the election. And I was stunned today when we were reading up about the court appearance that there was no official mugshot taken of Donald Trump. That's not the stunning bit, by the way, but that outside the courthouse people associated with the Trump campaign had already made and were selling T-shirts with a fake mugshot in support of Donald Trump with the money going to the campaign. I mean... This morning, at the time that I did the interview with the ABC at 7am, uh, since his indictment, yeah. since, since the charges were laid the other day, Donald Trump has made $8 million from donations from emails going out to his base. And he, he gave a speech uh, after the after the arraignment and he was- It is the worst speech you've ever seen. Well, it, it just- it, it's been described as rambling nonsense. Um, longtime Republican strategist Tom Nichols said the most important part of Trump's ramble tonight was, I have a Trump-hating judge with a Trump-hating wife and family whose daughter worked for Kamala Harris and now receives money from the Biden-Harris campaign and a lot of it. This is a strategy. This is his strategy now: attack the families. Yeah, attack the families, and also to do dog whistle to, uh, after dog whistle to favorite, you know, conspiracy sealed information environment talking points. And after that speech, he put out more emails requesting more money from people to support his campaign. I mean, it's just yeah, and it and it's all about willful belief. Like yeah. what kind? Like I, I don't think it says a lot to people's. Uh, intellect to give money to give free money to a billionaire. Like, why would you donate money to a billionaire? Man claims he's a billionaire, and you're giving him money for nothing yeah. to support him. And it, what they're actually paying for, what they're actually purchasing with the money that they're giving to a billionaire, is an affirmation that this false reality that's been created for them is true, and that they are good people and patriotic Americans. And Donald Trump is a victim, and he is the way, the truth, and the light. And the re- I mean, it's a cult. The, the guys from the Lincoln Project, like Rick Wilson, and and 
people like Tom Nichols, for, for, who is a former, you know, mm. Reagan administration staffer, not the person who I ever thought I would see as the great voice of reason in American politics, but who has certainly become it to me. They, they use the word cult openly. They're like, this is this is a cult. This is cult behaviour. The dear leader is beyond question. Uh, he The dear leader receives money to affirm belief for the feelings that he imparts and shares with the base. And the problem is politically it means that those who, those people who are still in the Republican Party, who are pursuing office in the Republican Party, have no room to move because, as happened in Wyoming, Liz Cheney, who is a very right-wing woman, yeah. but Liz Cheney, is right wing. Dick Cheney's fa- daughter. She is huh? Dick Cheney's daughter and she thinks Dick Cheney's great. Dick Cheney, who led America into the disaster known as the Iraq War, she, I mean. And shot a man in the face. Shot a man in the face. Shot his friend in the face. Yeah, all in good sport. All in good sport. And his friend apologised for getting his face in the way. Like it was, I mean, it was a time to be alive. Those of you who might be younger and not remember it. You want to talk about power. Liz Cheney is a very right-wing woman, like typical conservative in all of those ways. But because she called out Donald Trump and was like, this man is corrupt, he's shameful, he's undignified, he's not really conservative, he doesn't obey the Constitution, he was like he absolutely incited the attack on the American institution of the Capitol and its Congress on January 6th, she was primaried yeah. and she lost a pre-selection for office in Wyoming to a Trump acolyte because the the people who vote in the primary process, the members of the Republican Party who are selecting their candidates for office, support Trump back candidates. So you get people like Lindsey Graham. So Lindsey Graham is a senator from yeah. South Carolina, Miss Lindsay, they call him, a southern gentleman. He's been around for a long time. He used to be fr- best friends with John McCain, mm. who was the Republican candidate for president against Obama, Obama in the first yeah. Obama election, who was, you know, a war hero and been tortured by the Vietnamese and, you know, had been in captivity for 10 years, some ridiculous yeah. amount of money, um, money, amount of time. And Lindsey Graham had been a very close political ally of John McCain's. Well, Lindsey Graham now sings from the Trump songbook Mm. and he might be in trouble in Georgia for backing Trump in because he knows that his continuation office is dependent on Trump. And you get them again and again and Mm. again. Ron DeSantis, who's the governor of Florida and just like an evil right-wing bigot, like Mm. I don't mind saying that, who's responsible for the don't say gay law that bans teachers from even acknowledging that LGBTQI people exist and the rest of it. Ron DeSantis has is you know a popular establishment choice. God help us for the Republican nomination for president, but he can't move politically because if he turns against Trump now, the base will turn on him. You know, Ron DeSantis would be mm. at home saying his prayers that Trump is going to go to jail or yeah. you know or perish or get struck by a bolt of lightning by a vengeful God because that's the only way he's going to get near the nomination, and Republican sentiment towards Trump is actually deepening because Trump's running this I've been politically victimised, I'm such a victimised, I'm such a victim narrative. Oh, it is really disturbing. It's it's very interesting to see, and, and I want to bring it to what's happening here in Australia too, man, because, you know, just today we've seen Peter Dutton lock the Liberal Party into campaigning against the voice to parliament. So the coalition has gone from saying no to manufacturing jobs, no to emissions reduction, no to affordable housing, no to wage rises, and is now saying no to the voice. 
Paddy Dutton was very clear about that. He's given some kind of weird, uh, I mean, what did you call it? The 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 ten ten attempts to moralise racism or something. Oh, uh, it's it was just shocking. The Dutton speech. So, uh, for those of you who don't know, but you probably do, mm. uh, Peter Dutton has now after. And this is what I can't get over. Like the context of this, Peter Dutton held off on expressing a position against the voice. Oh, well, you know, the party is still going to, oh, we're going to have him discover. We want more detail. Mm. It was disingenuous. Mm. Like the theme song of Peter Dutton is he is the most disingenuous leader we've had in this country. At least you could say about Tony Abbott was that, you know, he sincerely believed his nonsense, whereas Peter Dutton, I don't even know, if, like, if he believes his nonsense. I mean, one of the things that's really stark about this, though, is that there's also been news poll uh, come out today, earlier this morning, clearly showing that there's a majority of support in the majority of states, even in Queensland, where there isn't, it's not 50%, it's 49 versus 43. There is a support for the voice across the country, but with a, with a rump of people, say, I think it's about, I think from memory, it's about 55% of people over the age of 65. Who are steadfastly no, and they strong no's, right? Like there, there is a conservative rump that Peter Dutton seems to be talking to. And when you look at who are the members of the Liberal Party, the reason the reason why I think these two stories go hand in hand is because there is a parallel here, perhaps a mirror, perhaps in fact there's a bridge from one form of conservatism to the other. Amazing. It's almost like they have conferences and workshops and exchange like campaign strategies. I mean, I'm just spitballing here. Well, but it just seems to me that it's not going to work. Like it's a, I mean, Aston shows that relying on a 10-point margin in one narrow demographic, even if it is the largest demographic, it's also, it's also, with all due respect to those who are over 65, a dying demographic simply because of age. But even if it is the largest, 10 points is not enough. Aston shows that, that when if all the other demographics go against you and all you're doing is pitching to those people over 65 in that 55% of people over 65 who are ultra-conservative, you will lose ground to Labor, to Teal's, to greens. Oh, and let's be clear, not all people over 55 are desperately conservative. And I wanna- we are literally talking about a conservative rump of very conservative people over the age of 55. And that's why I stress the only 55% of people over the age of 65. Oh, so that's That's why, you know. Sorry, over 65. Yeah, that. I mean, that's why it's so important to really understand that. But I want to put this in context, right? So the context was that the Liberals didn't, didn't reveal what their position on The Voice was going to be until after the Aston by-election. The National Party did, and I think we all know that was probably as a bit of a stalking horse, which is a political term for you get your sort of lesser partner, your junior partner, your backbencher, whatever. But also the National Party is a conservative party. And it is a conservative and party. And it has been openly conservative for decades. For, for since it started to exist. Basically. In fact, there was a National Party equivalent in the ancient Greek democracy of Athens that behaved in much the same way. So we're dealing with some fairly established political patterns here. So, but they, but the Liberals held off on announcing what their position was going to be. And of course, we know what happened in Aston. They got 
various parts of their anatomy handed to them by our friend Mary Doyle, who was the Labor candidate. Now, the Liberals have held Aston for 30 years. Alan Tudge survived the Louise Milligan Four Corners documentary about his behaviour. He survived that in the last federal election. And robo-debt. And robo-debt. Like, just the... but. in a seat like that, those kind of indiscretions, the behaviour that was exposed mm. around the treatment of Rochelle Miller allegedly by her and the rest of it, I mean, she ended up getting paid out, the rest of it, you that tends to harm you in a conservative seat. Mm. The idea that that seat is Labor now is extraordinary. And it was a 6% swing to Labor on the back of a 10% swing at the federal election. So within the, within the last 10 months, 11 months. The Liberals the, have lost a third of their vote. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah, well, yeah, that's pretty massive. And the idea that there would be such a repudiation of the Liberals, such a repudiation mm. of them as an outfit by the same people who had voted for Alan Tudge. Yeah. Like I don't think there's been mass migration to the seat of Aston <laughs> no. in the nine months since the federal election is it's kind of overwhelming. But the Liberals didn't jeopardise their position by taking a position on the voice. Mm. Now that they have conclusively lost Aston, conclusively lost it, one would think, and not to an independent, not to a centre-right independent, to a left-wing woman from the Labor Party. Union organiser. Union organiser, you know. Pop, you know, stands with Billy Bragg, sings Solidarity Forever quite well. Yes, he always leads us in Solidarity Forever at union events, you know, had been an actor on Neighbours but briefly, like, yeah. you know, she's not hiding who she is. No. And the idea that... That that seat and that traditional conservative base would be like, do you know who we need to elect? A good left-wing woman is kind of amazing. And and yet the no position on the voice, it seems as if they have they have derived completely the wrong lesson from what happened there. So sensible people like Simon Birmingham, who may be a Tory but who values his political survival, mm. is one of the many people like that poor man who holds um that who holds the seat of Menzies in Victoria, whose name I can't remember, who was on the ABC and you ever mm. wanted to see a rabbit get tortured on television was him during the election night coverage on Aston. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, we need to moderate. Yeah. You know, him, uh, Matt Keane in New South Wales, who was like, clearly we have lost government because we've drifted too far to the right. People do not like it. They do not like these hardcore conservative positions. Dutton has turned around and gone, oh, well, better double down on a conservative position. Like they lost the federal election, they lost Victoria, they lost New South Wales, and now they've lost Aston, and the lesson he's drawing is to be more conservative, which, by the way, is what they're saying on Sky After Dark. You know, Peter Credlin, who was like, oh, you know, this is just terrible for the Liberal Party to lose Aston, this is just horrible, and yet... And her advice was, well, clearly we just need to get back to conservative liberal values. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because you and I have talked before and we talked the day after the federal election and I noticed that you tweeted your article uh, from soon after the, the last federal election as well talking about this issue, that the Liberal Party, the party of Menzies, is not supposed to be just a conservative party. No. It's supposed to be. A liberal party. And I talked about this on the weekend wrap, and, and a big shout out to everyone who listened to that, where the what Dutton is trying to do seemingly is make the Liberal Party a conservative party, that he seems to believe 
that the future for the Liberal Party is conservative. And I want to be really clear about what he's announced today because he will campaign against the voice. He's campaigning for a no vote. He's being explicit about that. He was explicitly asked, will you campaign for the no side of the referendum? And he said, yes, I will. It's the one thing he has said yes to. Uh, And he has said that members of his front bench are bound by the position the party has taken. Unlike during the uh, referendum about our, whether or not we were to become a republic, where John Howard allowed uh, f- basically freedom of choice across the entire Liberal Party, and you had Peter Costello campaigning yes and John Howard campaigning no. Well, I mean, you know, unsurprising, Peter Costello never actually became Prime Minister, really. But nonetheless, it was an open vote. And Peter Dutton has bound his front bench. He's bound his front bench. So including people like Simon Birmingham to voting no and to campaigning with him alongside him on these issues. Now, he was asked, oh, does this mean your backbench will have to vote no as well? And he said, the vast majority of my backbench is already on board with the position. And, of course, we know they are because they include people like Jared Rennick and Alex Antich who are... Right-wing loons. Consumers Quote of, me on that. Right-wing loons. Regurgitators of. American right-wing of, loon garbage. American. Sealed information environment, like Fox News world nonsense. Jared Rennick has a viral video that he put out himself. <laughs> he put it out himself this week where he makes some kind of scientifically illiterate argument about how greenhouse gas is not real because of convection. It's like we don't live in an oven, Jared. Like, please and the let- gravity is really the source of heat in our uh, atmosphere. Oh, it's been really interesting. Paul, I feel sorry for scientists because they see the world in science terms. Yeah. Right? They, scientists believe, of course, in objective, demonstrable yeah, yeah, realities. Yeah. And you see these highly educated people trying to educate Jared Rennick, and it's just like, to quote our favourite television show, it's like trying to explain Norway to a dog. <laughs> That's right. And, you know, Alex Antich was not to be outdone. Having seen that Jared Rennick's video went viral, he put out one claiming that essentially Australia has been taken over by communists and a new world order and that we are under threat from wokeness. Ah, yes, the woke virus. The woke virus. Yes, the woke virus, which is, by the way, in case nobody knows what the woke virus is, it means that you don't have a genocidal hatred of trans people and you're anti-racist. That's the woke virus. Oh, and you think women should have jobs. So, I mean, the woke virus. Oh, climate change is real. Sorry, that's also part of the woke virus. It's It's a bizarre set of beliefs designed to justify their own failures in life and to create these monetizable uh, properties. Because people, just let's repeat it one more time, people respond to advertising when they're angry and they're frightened. So if you can enrage and frighten people at the same time and then supply them with an ad, perhaps for a donation to a political campaign, you'll probably get it. And look, Rennick and Antich do well on social media. There's no question they are among the top quote-unquote performers 
when it comes to social media content in the Australian political landscape. And so was Paul, So was Craig Kelly. Yeah. Craig Kelly was one of the biggest Facebook pages in Australia, but he couldn't win his own seat. And that's a really important point. He couldn't win his own seat. So here you've got people raising and spending millions of dollars of other people's money, people who are often misled by what they're hearing, often fed false information, and yet these these people are not winning votes. Like Jared Rennick is in the Senate. Alex Antich is in the Senate. They are trading off the Liberal brand to get elected. They're not winning votes below the line. No one. There are very few votes voters going into the uh, polling booth going, oh, where's Jared Rennick on the Senate ticket? I'm I can't wait to one. vote for that guy. That's not he happening. He knows stuff about gravity that scientists <laughs> don't. Like that's not happening, right? So these people have these big social media profiles. They're generating lots of money for themselves maybe, for the party maybe, for who knows, right? Cannot get elected in in their own right. In Cannot their own get sense. elected in their right. Yeah, Jared Rennick couldn't get elected in his own right, because, not even in Queensland. Because we have such a robust preferential compulsory system of voting, unlike in the US, mm-hmm. and yet Peter Dutton seems to be moving more and more, more and more, Towards a Rennick Antich style caravan of yeah. So what's happening is that it, significant elements of the Liberal Party, the Conservative Caucus in the Liberal Party. So mm, the mm, Liberal mm. Party is effectively made up of small L Liberals and Conservatives. Yeah. And Menzies deliberately made the Liberal Party the Liberal Party when he created it in forty four, and made the policies explicitly liberal, saying that there's got to be a space for us to fight communism politically uh, in defence of small business and enterprise yeah. and all these things. And if conservatives don't like it, it doesn't matter because they'll vote for us anyway because the alternative is the Labor Party. Yeah. Right? And that was the success of the Menzian Liberal campaign was to just make conservatives vote for you anyway because you weren't the Australian Labor Party. Yeah. We're in a very different reality now where conservatives dominate the Liberal Party. We know that there's been branch stacking all over the country, particularly in Victoria. Evangelical religious groups Mm. have got into the branch stacking action with the result that they have a policy platform that is completely unrepresentative of anybody who might be likely to vote for them, particularly swing voters. Because what we know from the demographic information is that People who live in cities in cosmopolitan neighbourhoods really like cosmopolitanism. They really like multiculturalism. Mm. They have absolutely no problem with their LGBTQIA neighbours, absolutely Mm. none. In Mm. fact, they might be LGBTQIA themselves. A lot of teal voters are from, you know, like an economically centre-right Politically perspective, political perspective, but have been so attacked, persecuted, marginalised, demonised by the Liberal Party that the idea of voting Liberal is really not feasible. I mean, you're not going to vote for somebody who hates you or who thinks that your children should be systematically persecuted at school, strangely enough. And these kind of what's happening in Australia, of course, we've talked about this a lot, the culture war issues that mobilise Americans to get to the ballot mm. boxes where you get your guns and God, guns and God people mm, mm. going to the ballot boxes in defence of God Emperor Donald Trump, mm. sometimes going to ballot boxes mm. armed mm. and suppressing people from who might be turning out to yes. vote. They they are in a we're in a situation in Australia where that doesn't work. No. You can't suppress the vote here. No, that's right. Everybody gets a vote, and that's 
so important. And it's going to be so important in the referendum, right? Because it's a binary choice. It's a yes or a no. And Dutton today tried to cloud that up and say, oh, we're going to do this and we want these local groups and all this other kind of nonsense, which is quite frankly just rationalising that ultra-conservative position. Oh, it's just so frustrating because he's talking about, oh, where's the where's the voice for local and regional people? And it's like there's literally nothing stopping any local government area from initialising a voice process. This is a federal voice process. They have, of course, just passed a voice where, Ben? In South Australia. In South Australia. Where we had Kaya Ma, Minister for Aboriginal Affairs and the Attorney General, on our show talking about the process they went through in South Australia. Peter Dutton knows this. Oh, and which state has the biggest yes vote so far in polling around the referendum? South Australia. It's South Australia, where there is already a voice, where the sky has not fallen in, where people are not fleeing to the borders, you know, where people are not defending their land with pitchforks. Like, that is not happening. That's not what a voice is. A voice is an established consultative process for First Nations people of First Nations people by First Nations people to consult with government, not to steal things or take things or divide the community. But the line I can't get over and the line that the Liberals are running and Susan Lay, Susan and Peter Dutton today, um, we're going on, well, we've decided not to be divisive, so we're going to divide the country by campaigning for no. So we don't want to be divisive, but we're not going to be part of a bipartisan agreement on a way forward as recommended by the Uluru mm. process in consultation. And, I mean, all of that is just, you know, it's sickening, right? Like it is Trumpian. It's it's going it, when he says things like, well, we don't support a Canberra voice when he's broadcasting live from Canberra, when he talks about we want to unite the country, therefore we're going to campaign for no, we we want to have we want to give Indigenous people real uh, tangible outcomes uh, therefore, we're not going to do- We're going to exclude Indigenous people from discussion about those outcomes. And we're not going to do the things that a representative group of Indigenous people have spent years developing and have asked the Australian people to actually do because Peter Dutton had one conversation with one woman oh, in Arnhem Land. you made this incredible. I mean, it was the speeches were kind of amazing. They were sickening, but they were kind of amazing because it was just like old school- Bait and switch yeah. rhetorical techniques. Well, I spoke to a woman in East Arnhem Land and, you know, what does the voice have for her? And it's like one person in a country of 25 million people. Yeah. Like one Indigenous person out of the entire community, quite diverse community of Indigenous people. If you listen to that speech, you would think that all Indigenous people uh, lived in Alice Springs and Alice Springs is the only like yeah. all, all Indigenous issues can be summed up in Alice Springs. Like the idea that it's actually quite a diverse and, dare I say it, multicultural community of mm -hmm. Indigenous Australians. Let's remember, not a homogenised nation, like 200 different language groups of people yeah. like across a continent. Yeah. It is It is. Absolutely. It was extraordinary. But the rhetorical tactic of, oh, I met this person, and Ben had this great line where he was like, Peter Dutton seems to think that Australia consists of the kind of people who talk to him at the shops. And it's like to even be the person who goes up to Peter Dutton and goes, hey, man, I think you're doing a great job, puts you in pretty, you know, pretty compelling minority in this yeah, country. If the Aston by-election, the New South Wales election, the Victorian state election and the federal election are any indication. Look, we need to move on. We will undoubtedly come back to this. The Voice campaign is now, as 
as we predicted, uh, going to be about a yes campaign and a no campaign. It's a binary choice, folks. You either vote yes uh, or you vote no, and you'll be on the side of Peter Dutton uh, and <laughs> Peter Dutton, Barnaby Joyce, Pauline Hansen, Lydia Thorpe. Alexandic, Gerald Brennick. These are the people who are saying no. Warren so Mundine, Jacinda Price. Choose which side of history you want to be on because, let me tell you, that's What's happening? Now, Van, I do want to briefly touch on the fact that the RBA Governor, Phil Lowe, gave a speech at the press club today. I thought it was going to be a slow news day. It's a busy news day. Phil Lowe, of course, has paused interest rate rises after putting them up 10 times in a row. He did, however, uh, use the speech uh, to claim that he has received uh, lots of praise from people uh, about, putting, you, Phil? about putting up. Oh, uh, praise. Oh, that's important. 17 emails, in fact. 17. 17. Yep. They haven't released the all the content, but the headings are many thanks. Uh, thank you for the work you're doing. 17 emails. Uh, a word of encouragement. Uh, support for your actions. Good job on economy. Keep up the good work. Philip Lowe is brilliant. I support the Reserve Bank. How do and we know this? Did he rates. read this out at the National No, no. These, this, this was a Freedom of Information request that came out uh, at the same time as his National Press Club speech. Oh, no. I want to compare this to the fact that around somewhere between 20 and 30,000 workers have walked off uh, the job in Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane, and Adelaide to protest about cuts to living standards. Maybe they should have sent him an email. I feel like Phil Lowe may have been more inclined to listen to the email. Look, you know. But he got 30,000 workers on the street, but he got 17 emails. I know. I mean, I think we can weigh that up. People willing to mobilise physically around the issues or the 17 people sending an email. And, of course, you can join your union at australianunions.org.au slash wow. They do often send emails to MPs as well. Uh, not sure they've sent them to the Reserve Bank government. Maybe that will be something uh, the union movement will do in the future, given how much weight the Reserve Bank seems to put on the handful of emails they get. Look, he has basically said that putting them on hold now doesn't mean there won't be increases in the future. Of course not. I mean, we've got to take heat out of the wage price spiral disaster catastrophe oncoming people getting paid for what they're worth, Ben. It's an outrage. Well, for the first time, he's actually acknowledged that wage growth here hasn't, quote, picked up the same rate as it has in some other countries, particularly in North America. Uh, you know, this is, we have been talking about this for months on this show. Uh, the union movement has talked about it. Uh, the reality in Australia is not the same as in other parts of the world. More Australians have their mortgages attached to variable rates than fixed rates, which means an interest rate rise hurts more people more quickly. Phil Lowe has finally acknowledged that that is one of the reasons why he wants to put a pause on the situation. We have a bargaining system here, which means people's wage rises are locked in for sometimes three or four years in advance, which means it's much harder to lift wages uh, when uh, prices go up. And in fact, the bargaining conditions that workers have had for the last decade have been so poor, uh, we've had to change the government to try and get wages moving again. Uh, at the same time, he still claims that profits are not uh, a source of inflation, uh, at the, but, and yet 
he says that profits are a source of inflation because he says rising profit. This is quotes from his speech. Rising profits are not the source of the inflation we have. I think what has been happening is demand is strong enough to allow firms to pass on the high input costs into prices, so the firms have not suffered at a decline in their profits as their costs have gone up, with the exception, I think, of the construction sector. But most sectors have been able to pass on the high input costs into higher prices and keep their profit margins the same. So effectively, profits have gone up. Profits are driving it. The maintenance of profits at the expense of consumers, at the expense of working people's wages and the prices consumers pay, mean that profits are driving inflation. The search for profit, the search to extract value from working people is what's driving it. He also talks a little bit about the housing market, and it's really, you know, again, phenomenal disconnection from reality. He talks about the fact that there will be high costs for rent. It'll take years for the construction of new dwellings to catch up uh, to population increases. Just yesterday, Porter Davis Homes in Victoria went into liquidation. There are 1,700 unfinished homes uh, that may now never get finished, 400 staff who have lost their jobs, untold numbers of contractors uh, turfed out. We've seen the same thing happening in Queensland. Uh, this, this supply crisis, this and coupled with this financing crunch that Philip Lowe has facilitated, is making the housing situation worse. And quite frankly, his dismissal of it uh, today was a bit disgusting. Now, he may well put up rates again next month or the month after. Who knows? Uh, he has said the three things that he will uh, do this based on are the outlook for the global economy. So obviously global banks have had uh, stresses recently. The strength of household consumption, including household spending, unemployment and mortgage rates. Uh, and how the price wage setting behavior responds to higher inflation. Again, implicit in that last point, Van, is the threat that if working people demand wages that keep up with the cost of living, he will continue to increase interest rates and try and drive working people out of employment. And that's why those protests were happening today around the country. The, the tens of thousands of people turned out, working people, that's why people are on strike in Sydney. Uh, at Sydney Uni, at Curtin Uni, because fundamentally the high priest of monetary policy in this country continues to tell working people if you ask for just a little bit more just to stay where you are and not go backwards, I will find a way to punish you. It's disgraceful. It is. It's absolutely shocking. It's just neoliberal garbage. And it just goes to show that we've ended up with an economy which is rigged against working people and in the interests of a minority, not a majority. And by the way, it's anti-democratic. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And, you know, people talk about the RBA and the board of the RBA. Well, remember, all of the current board members of the RBA uh, were appointed by previous Conservative governments. Phil Lowe himself was obviously appointed by a Conservative government. You know, there is a review into the RBA uh, and we can only hope that that will change the game as it relates to monetary policy because fundamentally what is happening in this country, what has happened in other parts of the world as well, is the undermining of democracy 
based on a set of ideological principles that say it is in the interests, it is better to serve the interests of capital-holding minority than to gear the economy to serve the vast majority, and that is the people who have to work for a living. That's my rant about the Reserve Bank Governor. Should we talk about the good news? Sure. Because the good news is, I mean, we've talked about Trump. uh, We've talked about the fact there are workers having to take strike action. We've talked about, obviously, the RBA. We've talked about Dutton and his no-alition. But the good news is actually about the voice, right? Because as, as we spoke about briefly before, there was a news poll that came out that shows if the referendum were held today, we would be recognising Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in the Constitution and the voice would be going ahead. Yeah. And that's pretty good news. I mean, that's great news. It's great news. And, look, if this is the the hill that Peter Dunn wants to die on, I mean, welcome to Hill City, man. <laughs> well, let's, let's break it down for people. In New South Wales, it's 55 versus 36. Victoria, 56 versus 35. SA, as you mentioned, Van, the strongest state for the voice, 60 versus 33. WA, 51 versus 41. Tassie, 55 versus 39. Queensland, 43 versus 49. Uh, And again, we should point out that there are some undecideds, right? So the yes vote is ahead with every age group except the over 65s, every income and type of work except retirees. And it's also ahead with both English-speaking and migrant communities. And in fact, Van, and I think this has come as a surprise to some commentators, migrant communities are even more supportive. So if you're from a migrant uh, background where English is not your first language, uh, it's 62%, uh, whereas if English is your first language, it's 54 I mean, based on those numbers, and it's state by state, right? Every time we say it, to win a referendum, you've got to win a majority of votes in a majority of states. Based on that, the voice becomes part of the Constitution quite comfortably, quite comfortably. I mean, we still got to do the work. Can I just underline that the state that has the largest support for the voice in the referendum is the state that has already got its own voice. There is nothing to be scared of. If you want detail, how about you have a look about what's going on in South Australia. The sky is not falling in. People are not fleeing. Well, it's really simple. As Kyam Ma said on this show, it's about taking the next steps. It's about recognising that we are part of the oldest continuous culture on the planet, that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are fundamentally part of this great nation of ours and that policy issues that relate to them should be consulted on with them by representatives they have chosen. That's it. That's what it does. It doesn't give veto power. It doesn't give them capacity to dish out money. It doesn't. It's not a different government. It's not a house It's not a shadow state. It's none of those things. It is appalling that any grown adults would try and demonise the process with absolute myth-making and it is, can I just say, very like racism. Yeah, and that's basically. It's a bit like racism to pretend that you know, creating a mechanism 
for First Nations Australians to consult on the issues that affect them is something that should be dogged with demonisation and disinformation. It really looks to me like racism. Yeah, all the information is out there. I mean, Peter Dutton's thing, you know, oh, we've asked and we don't get answers. Like, <laughs> I asked someone at the shops and they agreed with me. It's just Google it, man. Like, seriously, there's nothing that Peter Dutton or Susan Lay or any of the liberal, you know, the conservatives, let's call them what they are, the conservatives have asked that they couldn't find on Google. And if there is, let me know because I'll find it for them on Google. Like it's really not hard. And the vast majority of people in the vast majority of states fundamentally agree that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people should be recognised in their constitution and they should have a voice on those issues that relate to them. Uh, and side note, for people who are like, oh, well, what about the recommendations into the um, Aboriginal Deaths in Custody Royal Commission? Did you know, little known fact, mm. if you actually read those recommendations, one of the recommendations is, Ben, can you tell me what it is? It's to have a, a voice. voice to parliament yeah. <laughs> is actually in the recommendations of that particular report. So that's the good news. The good news is the voice is winning. We need to keep up. The campaign, obviously now the no campaign is going to be energised. The leader of the opposition, the former defence minister, is out there campaigning for no. So we've got to go out and campaign for yes. Each and every person listening to this podcast, if you've listened to this podcast, you like this podcast, you share it with your friends, you share it with your co-workers, you share it with your colleagues, share it with your family members, you've got to campaign for yes. There's no question about that now. And, of course, Part of the support that people give to this podcast goes to expanding the audience. So part of that audience is, of course, going to get this yes message. Between now and the referendum, it's going to be part of what we talk about. These stories are going to keep coming up, and we really want to give a huge shout-out and congratulations to our supporters who've gone to buymeacoffee.com slash week on Wednesday, who've helped us tip over. We are now over 800,000 downloads. It's phenomenal. Like never dreamt we would have that. We're we're doing thousands and thousands of downloads every day, which is blowing my mind. But it's because people have helped grow the audience. They've gone to that supporter page. They get the emails. They make a contribution, whether it's once off or a buck a week, $10 a month, $20 a month, whatever it is. All that money goes into growing the audience, getting the message out to more and more people. That's what it's for. So we always want to give a shout out to our cadre who give 20 bucks a month and our Extend the Reach who give 10 bucks a month. And Van, I believe you've got that list. You're ready. Our supporters, our cadre, Steph, Karina Barlier, Jane C. Campbell, Leona Gibbons, Shane Horsville, Ali Vance, Miriam, Love Your Work, Yeet, Yettle, Yeet Yeti. At Emmy Bailden, Claire, Jason Dallas, Camille, Akiva Boris, Kristen Sekluna, Gabe Kramer, Stephen Aiken, Trish Corey, Greg Miller, Kathy Birch, Fiona McNeil, Jada, Jed Carney, Kristen Cole, Tamara, James Bromwin, Punch Dunk Veteran, Jenny Foster Seven, Andrew Pascoe, Cassandal Tui, Addison Official, Ian Hampson, no Twitter for me. Hannah Honda, Matt Bush, Richard Sands, Glenn, Robbie, Brash Daniels, Kylie Phillips, Linda Cutright, Leanne Shingles, I don't have Twitter, my name is Susan Myers, Kerry Nash 20, Billy Three McCabe, Nerissa Simon, at Katagal, Lauren Ash and Banjo, Matthew Hadley, at Naranga Man, John John Sharpen, Peter Bath, Aaron Rollins, and Louise Watson, also known as Red, White, and Blue Lou. And extend the reach supporters are Helen, Sanj Kelly, Darina, Kathy Hay, Donald Vaughan, Damien Marley, Michelle Norton, Rodney Slap, Cameron, Tri Dragon, Daniel, at Crazy Keza, at Ange Fennel, Anna Uren, at Ross Kenner, 888. 
Kathy Burgess, Kirsten Black, Melanie Denning, Jody A. Penelope, Judge Joan Holloway, Spirit of Anger and Hope, Akay Not, Didham, Sharon Kelly, Beck and Lola, Richard Reverse, Someone, Vita W, Tanya George, Nandita Hannum, Maury Louise Hawker, Megan Weckett, Graham Oxley, Beck, Cody, Tracy, Lucas, Sandy Honey, Gail Vest, Greg Martin, Trainer, Amy Fawcett, Not on Twitter, Sarah, Eliana, Andrew, Ivis Billet, Andrew Bryan, Peter O.C., Linda, Sam Pendid, Keir Patterson, Lizette Twizzle, Buncombe Basher, Katie Ward, The Real Never Long Body, Sandy Bimegut, At Not Sandy B, Renee McGee, Stuart Munn, Blagoya, Cal- Sorry, Blagoya Kalinsev, Matthew Case, Marky Mark, Vic M. Bitt, Adrian Valente, Maritza Akaridal 68, Frank Nahus, Erica Pizzuti, Joe Lapino, Roger Fitzpatrick, Kerry Arthur, and Pauline Bate. And can I say a big apology to some of the strange noises and little interruptions you've heard as this dog is misbehaving and I have been chasing him and trying to keep him under control for the past hour. Germanicus, please apologize to all the nice people at home. He does, he does have a sad-looking face. Apologise. Apologise. That, that is the week on Wednesday for this week. Of course, the weekend wrap, uh, well, it's Easter Sunday. I guess I, I guess I can do a weekend wrap on Easter Sunday. I don't know. We'll see how we go. We'll let you know. We'll tell you on Twitter. We'll tell you on Twitter, on Facebook. We'll put up posts. Um, of course, I just want to give a huge thank you. This podcast will always be free to listen to, always be free to download. And it's because you share and it's because you engage that we beat people like the Australian. We beat people like Sky when it comes to the Apple podcast. Steve Bannon. Do we beat Steve Bannon? We Bannon? beat people like I Steve I love beating Bannon. Steve Bannon. Not always, but sometimes we Take beat Steve Take that, Steve. But we regularly beat the Murdoch media when it comes to podcasts. And it's so important that you keep up the support. Uh, even if it's just sharing, liking, commenting, whatever it might be, write a review because fundamentally these are the messages that will shift shift support for things like The Voice, shift support for things like improved cost of living. Until next time, love you, Vanny. Love you. Bye. Bye.